Hello, everyone. I am Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is Chapter 47, Resurrecting Lazarus. It was a little afternoon on Thursday when Martha left the house to meet Jesus coming over the hill to Bethany. Lazarus, her brother, had died four days ago, and they had put him in the family's private tomb at the far end of the garden late on Sunday afternoon. Then, early that morning before Jesus arrived in Bethany, they had rolled the stone in place that was used to close off the entrance to the tomb. When Mary and Martha had sent the messenger to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, they were confident that Jesus would do something to heal him. They knew that their brother was deathly sick, and although they did not expect Jesus to just drop everything that he was doing and come to their aid, they were confident that all he had to do was say the word, and Lazarus would be healed. So, when Lazarus died a few hours after the messenger left, Everyone thought that it was because the messenger had not gotten to Jesus in time and that Lazarus had already been dead for several hours before Jesus found out about it. But then the messenger came back Tuesday morning and told everyone that Jesus had said, this sickness is not really to the death. So they did not know what to think. They also could not understand why Jesus sent them no more word or offered them any help. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus came from a well-to-do family. Their father had been an honorable Jew, well-respected as a leader in the community. Even though all three of the kids were passionate in their support of Jesus, they were also well-respected in the community. They had inherited a large vineyard and olive orchard, and being wealthy, they could afford a private burial tomb on their property, in which their parents were already resting. When the news of Lazarus' death spread throughout the land, a lot of friends from nearby hamlets and others from Jerusalem showed up at the house to comfort the two sisters. Mary had given up hope that Jesus was coming and gave in to her grief. Martha, though, had clung to the hope that Jesus would arrive right up to that morning when they rolled the stone in place to seal the tomb. And even then, it appears she kept some hope because she had told a lad to station himself on the brow of the hill east of Bethany to keep a watch out for Jesus coming down the road from Jericho. This was the person who later let her know that Jesus was coming. When Martha got to Jesus, she fell down at his feet, saying, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha was scared, but she showed no doubt and did not criticize or question Jesus about Lazarus dying. When she was done speaking, Jesus reached down and lifting her up to her feet said, 
Only have faith, Martha, and your brother will rise again. Then Mary said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And even now I believe that whatever you will ask of God, our Father, he will give you. Then Jesus said, looking straight into Martha's eyes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he will live. In truth, whosoever lives and believes in me will never really die. Martha, do you believe this? And Martha answered the master, Yes, I have long believed that you are the deliverer, the son of the living God, even he who should come to this world. Jesus then asked about Mary, and Martha went into the house to her sister and whispered, The master is here, and he has asked for you. When Mary heard this, she quickly got up and hurried out to meet Jesus, who is still standing a ways off from the house where Martha had first met him. The friends who were with her and who wanted to comfort her followed her when she went out, thinking that she was going to the tomb to cry. Many of the people present at the house were Jesus's bitter enemies. That was why Martha had come out to meet him alone. And that was also why she had made it a point to keep it a secret when she told Mary that Jesus was asking for her. Mary was hoping to see Jesus, but she was also trying to avoid any problems by him suddenly walking into a large group of his enemies from Jerusalem. So Martha's intention was to stay in the house with all of their friends while Mary snuck out to talk with Jesus. This, though, did not happen because they all followed Mary, and suddenly they all found themselves in front of Jesus. Martha led Mary to Jesus, and when she saw him, Mary fell at his feet, crying, If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw how they all grieved over Lazarus's death, his soul was moved with compassion. When the mourners saw Mary go to Jesus, they went a short distance away and waited. Both Mary and Martha talked with Jesus, and he further comforted them and urged them to stand strong in their faith in the Father and remain in complete resignation to his divine will. The human side of Jesus was moved by the tension between his love for Lazarus and his sisters and his contempt for the outward displays of affection that some of the unbelieving Jews intent on murdering him were showing. Jesus resented the spectacle of forced mourning for Lazarus by some of his so-called friends because that false sorrow was mixed in their hearts with their hatred for him. Still, some of the Jews had been real friends with Lazarus, and they were sincere. At Lazarus's tomb, 
Jesus had Mary and Martha aside from the other people and was comforting them. After a moment, Jesus asked them, Where have you laid him? And Martha said, Come and see. As Jesus followed the two sisters in silence, he wept. When the friendly Jews saw this, one of them said, Behold how he loved him. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? By this time, they had arrived at the family's burial plot, which was a small natural cave in a 30-foot high wall of rock that was at the far end of the garden. It is difficult to explain to humans just why Jesus wept. While we have access to Jesus' combined divine thoughts and human emotions, as they are written in the records of his personalized adjuster, we are not really certain about the real cause of what we saw. We think that Jesus wept because of several things that he was thinking of at once, like 1. His genuine sympathy for Mary and Martha. He had a real and deep human love for these sisters who had lost their brother. 2. He was agitated by the crowd of mourners, some who were sincere and others who were merely pretending. Jesus always resented outward ex exhibitions of sadness, but he knew the sisters loved their brother and that they had faith in the survival of those who believe the gospel. These conflicting emotions may explain why Jesus groaned as they all got closer to the tomb. Third, three, Jesus truly hesitated in bringing Lazarus back to mortal life. His sisters really needed him, but Jesus regretted having to bring his friend back. He knew the bitter persecution that Lazarus would have to endure being the subject of Jesus' greatest demonstration of divine power. And now, we can tell you that although this story unfolds like it is a natural event in your human, human affairs, it has some very strange and interesting sidelights. While the messenger went to Jesus on Sunday and told him of Lazarus's illness, and while Jesus sent word back to the sisters that the sickness was not to the death, Jesus still went in person to Bethany and even asked the sisters where they had put him. Although this seems to indicate that Jesus was operating on normal limited human knowledge, the universe records show that just 15 minutes before Lazarus died, Jesus' personalized adjuster ordered the indefinite detention of his thought adjuster on the planet. Did Jesus' divine mind know, even before Lazarus died, that he was going to raise him from the dead? We do not know. We only know what we are placing here on the record. Many of Jesus' enemies sneered 
when they saw him weeping and said among themselves, If he thought so much of this man, why did he wait so long before coming to Bethany? If he is what they claim, why did he not save his dear friend? What good is it to heal strangers in Galilee if he cannot save those he loves? And in many other ways, they mocked Jesus and made fun of his teachings. And so, on this Thursday afternoon, at about half past two o'clock, the stage was set. In this little village of Bethany, Michael of Nebadon was about to act out his greatest feat of divine power during his time in the flesh. His own resurrection did not happen until after he had been released from the flesh, the mortal state. The small group of people gathered together outside of Lazarus's tomb little realized what was happening around them. Near at hand, under Gabriel's leadership, and as directed by Jesus' personalized adjuster, was a vast host of many different types of celestial beings, all waiting, all vibrating with excitement to execute Jesus' orders. When Jesus commanded, take away the stone, the assembled host got ready to bring Lazarus back to life as a human being. This type of resurrection is much more difficult to do than the normal type of resurrection and requires more facilities, organization, and celestial beings than just bringing the person back to life as normal in the bodies we inhabit in the Marantia realm. When Mary and Martha heard Jesus' command, they were torn between what to do. Mary was hoping that Lazarus really would be risen from the dead. But Martha, while she shared some of Mary's faith, was more afraid about how Lazarus would look to everyone. Because of this, she said, Do we have to roll away the stone? My brother has been dead now for four days, and by this time, his body has begun, begun to decay. Martha also said this because she was not really sure exactly why Jesus wanted the stone rolled back. She thought that maybe Jesus just wanted to take one last look at his friend. Martha was confused. As everyone stood around, and hesitated to roll away the stone, Jesus said, Did I not tell you from the beginning that this sickness was not to the death? Have I not come to fulfill my promise? And after I came to you, did I not say that if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God? Why do you doubt? How long before you will believe and then obey? After Jesus said this, his apostles, with the help of the neighbors, rolled the large stone away and opened the entrance to the tomb. The common Jewish belief 
was that the drop of gall, or in this case poison, on the tip of the sword of the angel of death began to work by the end of the third day, and that it was taking full effect on the fourth day. They believed that a man's soul might hang around the tomb until the end of the third day, hoping to bring the body back to life, but they firmly believed that the person's soul had gone to the realm of spirits before the fourth day had dawned. These beliefs about how the dead and how the, how the soul exits the body, in this particular case with Lazarus, worked to make sure that everyone who was present and everyone who would later hear about all of this, that Lazarus really was dead and that this, this really was a case of Jesus, who called himself the resurrection and the life, bringing him back to life. Lazarus's resurrection. As this group of about 45 people stood outside of the tomb, they could dimly see Lazarus's body wrapped in linen bandages resting on the lower right-hand corner of the small cave. While these earth creatures stood there in breathless silence, a vast host of celestial beings swung into place, preparing for Gabriel's signal to act. Jesus lifted his eyes up to the sky and said, Father, thank you for hearing and granting my request. I know that you always hear me, but because of those who stand here with me, I am asking, I am speaking to you like this so that they can believe that you have sent me into the world and that they can know that you are working with me in what we are about to do. And after he had prayed, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. While no person moved, the vast celestial host went to work at their master's command. In just 12 seconds of earth time, Lazarus's lifeless body began to stir and soon sat up on the stone ledge where it had rested. His body was bound up in the burial cloth and his face was covered with a cloth napkin. As Lazarus stood up in front of them, now alive, Jesus said, unwrap him and let him come out. Everyone that was gathered around, except for the apostles, Mary and Martha, ran away and back to the house. They were pale, scared, and astonished. Some of them decided to stay there, but many of them ran back to their own homes. Lazarus came up to Jesus and the apostles confused because he was wearing grave clothes and waking up in the garden. Jesus and the apostles moved to the side and let Mary and Martha tell Lazarus about his death, burial, and resurrection. She had to explain that he had died on Sunday and was now brought back to life on Thursday because while he was dead, he had no consciousness of time. As Lazarus came out of the tomb, Jesus' personalized adjuster, now the chief 
of his kind in this local universe, commanded Lazarus's former adjuster, now in waiting, to resume its place in Lazarus's mind and soul. Then Lazarus went over to Jesus, and with his sisters, the three knelt at Jesus' feet, thanking him and giving praise to God. Jesus, taking Lazarus by the hand, lifted him up and said, My son, what has happened to you will also be experienced by everyone who believes this gospel, except that they will be resurrected in a more glorious form. You will be a living witness of the truth that I have spoken, that I am the resurrection and the life. But now, let us all go into the house and feed these physical bodies. As they walked toward the house, Gabriel dismissed the assembled host, and then he recorded the first time on Urantia and the last where a mortal creature was resurrected in the same physical body. Lazarus could hardly understand what had occurred. He knew that he had been very sick, but he could only remember that he had fallen asleep and then been awakened. He was never able to tell anyone anything about these four days in the tomb because he was completely unconscious. Time is non-existent to those who sleep the sleep of death. Though many people had come to believe in Jesus because of this mighty miracle, others only hardened their hearts and rejected him more. By noon the next day, this story had spread throughout Jerusalem. Scores of men and women went to Bethany to talk to Lazarus, and the Pharisees, now alarmed and flustered, quickly called a meeting of the Sanhedrin to figure out what to do because of all of this. Meeting of the Sanhedrin. Even though raising Lazarus from the dead worked to strengthen the faith of those who believed in the gospel, it had little or no influence on the religious rulers at Jerusalem except to quicken their decision to destroy Jesus and stop his work. At one o'clock the next day, Friday, the Sanhedrin met to further discuss what will we do with Jesus of Nazareth? After more than two hours of bitter debate, a certain Pharisee presented a resolution calling for Jesus' immediate death, stating that he was a menace to all of Israel and formally committing the Sanhedrin to put Jesus to death without trial and against all precedent. Time and again, this imposing body of Jewish leaders had ordered that Jesus be arrested and tried on charges of blasphemy and many other charges of breaking Jewish sacred law. Once before, they had, they had even gone so far as to declare that he should die. But this was the first time the Sanhedrin had gone on record demanding his death before he had a trial. But this resolution did not come to a vote because 14 members of the Sanhedrin resigned as a group 
when they heard of such an unheard of action being proposed. Well, these resignations were not formally acted on for almost two weeks. These 14 men withdrew from the Sanhedrin that day, and they never again sat in the council. When these resignations later went into effect, five other members were thrown out of the Sanhedrin because the other members believed that they were also friendly toward Jesus. With the removal of these 19 men, the Sanhedrin was now in a position to try and condemn Jesus with almost universal approval. The next week, Lazarus and his sisters were ordered to appear before the Sanhedrin. When their story had been heard, there was no doubt that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Although what the Sanhedrin was doing was virtually admitting that Lazarus had been resurrected, their record stated that this and all other wonders that Jesus did were attributed to the power of the prince of devils and that Jesus was working with him. No matter what the source of Jesus' power, these Jewish leaders were convinced of that. If Jesus was not stopped immediately, very soon all of the common people would believe in him. And furthermore, that serious complications with the Roman authorities would arise, since so many of his believers thought that he was the Messiah, Israel's deliverer. It was at this same meeting of the Sanhedrin that Caiaphas, the high priest, first said the old Jewish adage, which he later repeated many times. It is better that one man die than that the community die. Although Jesus had been warned about the Sanhedrin, although Jesus had been warned about what the Sanhedrin was doing on this dark Friday afternoon, he was not a bit worried. He continued to rest over the Sabbath with his friends in Bethpage, a hamlet near Bethany. Then early Sunday morning, like they had all agreed on before, Jesus and the apostles met at Lazarus' house to say goodbye to the family, and then they started back to the Pella camp. The answer to prayer. On the way from Bethany to Pella, the apostles asked Jesus a lot of questions, all that Jesus freely answered. That is, except those questions involving the details of resurrecting the dead. That was beyond the apostles' ability to understand, so Jesus would not discuss it with them. Since they had kept it a secret that they were leaving Bethany, they were alone on the road. So Jesus took the opportunity to prepare the ten for the trying days just ahead. The apostles were excited, and they spent a lot of time talking about their recent experiences and how they related to the prayers being answered. They remembered Jesus in Philadelphia clearly telling the messenger from Bethany that this sickness is not really to the death. And yet, in spite of Jesus' promise, Lazarus had actually died. All that day, 
Again and again, they kept returning to this discussion about how prayer was answered. The following is a summary of Jesus' answers to their questions. One, prayer is the attempt of the person's mortal mind, a mind that is finite. In other words, a mind that will only exist in this lifetime to contact the divine mind that is infinite and will exist forever. This means that any prayer will be limited by the person's knowledge of the wisdom and attributes of God. In the same way, any answer to a human prayer will be based on the aims, ideals, and vision of the divine. Since the person asking God for something cannot know all that God has to consider in answering that prayer, there will never be an exact or direct spiritual response to a prayer. 2. When a prayer goes apparently unanswered, the delay often means that there is a better answer down the road. When Jesus said that Lazarus' sickness was not really to the death, he had already been dead for 11 hours. No sincere prayer is denied an answer, except when God has a better answer, an answer that meets the request of the spirit of the man rather than the request of the mere mind of the man. Third, Prayers that come from the people of the worlds of time and space, like the earth, when they are led by the person's spirit and expressed in faith, are many times so big and asking for so much that they can only be answered as the person's spirit progresses through eternity. Sometimes the person's understanding of God is so limited, so childlike, that the response to the prayer has to be delayed long enough for the person to grow in their understanding of God so that they can understand the response that they get. In other words, a prayer based on faith can be so all-inclusive in what it is asking for that the only answer can be attaining paradise, oneness with God. Fourth, the answers to the prayer of a mortal mind are often of the kind that can only be received by the person after their mind has become immortal. The prayers of a material being many times can only be answered when that person has reached the spirit level of existence. Fifth, a person who is led by their Spirit of God to pray may have so many incorrect ideas about God and their prayer may be so full of superstition that what they are asking for would really not be in their best interest. It would hurt them rather than help them. In these cases, the spiritual beings in between the person and God have to modify the person's prayer so much that when they do receive an answer, 
they do not recognize it as such. Six, all true prayers are to spiritual beings and all of those requests have to be answered in spiritual terms and consist of spiritual realities. Spirit beings cannot give material answers to the spiritual request of material beings. Material beings, humans, can only pray effectively when they pray in the spirit. Seventh, no prayer can hope for an answer unless it is born of the spirit and nurtured by faith. Your sincere faith suggests that you have, in advance, given those who hear your prayers the full right to answer your prayers according to the supreme wisdom and divine love that your faith shows motivates the divine beings to whom you pray. Eight, the child is always within his rights when he decides to ask something of the parents, and they are always within their parental responsibilities to the immature child when their superior wisdom says that the answer to the kid's prayer should be delayed, modified, segregated, or transcended until they reach a higher spiritual level of understanding. Ninth, do not hesitate to pray for your spirit's desires. Do not doubt that you will receive the answer to your requests. These answers will be on deposit, waiting for you to reach those future spiritual levels of actual cosmic achievement on this world or on others, where it will become possible for you to recognize and use the long-held answers to your earlier but ill-timed prayers. And tenth, all genuine spirit-born prayers are certain to be answered. Ask and you will receive. But you should remember that you are progressive creatures of time and space. Because of that, you have to constantly keep in mind the time-space factor influencing the answers to your prayers. What became of Lazarus? Lazarus stayed at the house in Bethany and visited with many sincere believers and other curious people up until Jesus was crucified. At that point, he was warned that the Sanhedrin had also ordered his death. The Jewish rulers were intent on stopping the spread of Jesus' teachings. And they were well aware that it would be useless to put Jesus to death if they permitted Lazarus, his greatest miracle, to live and tell others that Jesus had raised him from the dead. Lazarus had already suffered bitter persecution over all of this. So Lazarus quickly left his sisters in Bethany and fled down through Jericho and across the Jordan, never once slowing down until he reached Philadelphia. Lazarus was good friends with Abner, and he felt safe there from the murderous plotting of the wicked Sanhedrin. Soon after this, Mary and Martha sold their land in Bethany and joined Lazarus in Peria. In the meantime, 
Lazarus had become the treasurer of the church at Philadelphia. He was one of Abner's strong supporters in his controversy with Paul and the Jerusalem church. Lazarus ultimately died of the same sickness that carried him off when he was a younger man at Bethany when he was 67 years old. All right, everyone, that's it for chapter 47, the resurrection of Lazarus. It's getting interesting. Next up is chapter 48, last teaching at Pella. That'll be posted in about two days. Defend liberty. Protect those little ones. Get out there and find some way to serve man for nothing more or less than the sake of God. We need it, people. Godspeed. Bobby Keezer, out here. <laughs>